Good morning. Uh, if you guys ever need to be introduced to a room of people, I suggest that you get Dale to introduce you. You just feel really good about yourself. And you're like, man, what? really? Wow. No. Thank you. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Devin. For those who do know me, it is good to see you guys again. I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful for the opportunity to preach this morning. Uh, Dale asked me about six weeks ago uh, if I would preach, and I was in Athens at the time, and it was a really good week. I was working with Iranian refugees, and it was one of those times where you see God at work, and you just scratch your head, and you think, I don't know how to explain what is going on unless there is a God that loves his creation. I wish I could tell you that every single week was like that, and I always was as convinced as I was then and there, but that's when I got that email, and I thought, man, I can't say no. And so before I have the time to rationalize in my head how bad of an idea it would be to come home and then 10 days later uh, preach a sermon that incorporates the last three years of my life in seminary, which was also part of the request. And I was like, okay, if I think about this, I'm going to think of many good reasons to say no, but then I'm going to pray about it, and I know I'm going to feel like, yes, I should do this, so I'm going to shortcut the whole thing, email back quickly and say, I'll do it, and then push it aside, which is what happened uh, until I got home 10 days ago and thought, oh, I got to (laughs) preach, and I need to also preach about the last three years of my life in seminary and what God has done in my life, which You would think, I must know my life very well because I've lived with it every single day, and so this should be very easy. It's not. Uh, I gave the analogy of um, a box once in my life. It was when I was in seventh grade with a friend who was twice my size. I, like, weakly swung twice, and then he gave me a really solid punch in the face, which is the only time I've been punched in the face, and I don't remember it that well because my head was just kind of spinning, and I thought, oh, this is no fun. And that's a bit of how I have felt coming home from seminary and trying to understand, okay, God, what have you done in these last three years, which is almost in like this alternate universe, and then coming back to my home with the churches that I love, the friends that I love, the family that I love, that I have grown up with? How do I reconcile these things? How does this all play together? And then how do I preach a sermon uh, that combines that? And so, as I did learn in seminary, uh, rely on God's Word, which is why I've gone to John 14, and actually I'm cheating a little bit, and I'm going to read a bit from John 13 as well. Now, the context of what is happening is that Jesus has been with his disciples for three years. And that is the incarnate Son of God walking with people, healing people in front of them. And so it's relatively easy to be a follower of Jesus when he's right in front of you. You can touch him and and feel him. But Jesus is telling his disciples now at this point, things are going to change. It's not going to look like this. And I'm warning you now. And his disciples don't necessarily respond as well as you might hope. So this is Jesus speaking in John 13, 33. He says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. 
A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And Simon Peter kind of skips over the whole love one another part and goes to the thing that freaked him out. And he says, uh, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Now, I am going to relate the last three years of my life in seminary to the disciples' responses to Jesus, not because I'm one of the 12 disciples, but there are issues and problems that are common to men and women for all time and across cultures. And I can say I just experienced a whole lot of them over the last three years of my life. And this first one sounds pretty good, which is Peter, who says, Lord, no, no, no. I will follow you. Why can't I follow you? I will lay down my life for you. And for me, three years ago, when I went to seminary, I had the similar approach. And you think, well, that's actually quite holy. Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. See, I wasn't raised in the church. I wasn't raised with any faith background. And so when God came into my life when I was 19, it was something radically different. And I thought, okay, this changes everything. I can't not follow. Even if it doesn't make sense, I must follow that which has given me life. And so I loved being home in Santa Rosa and being able to do that with, again, friends and family that I loved, churches that I loved, ministries that I loved to be a part of. And then I felt a call to leave all that and go across the country when I was more or less scared to leave my mom's backyard. But I thought, oh, man, Jesus has chosen me. I must be pretty special. I must be pretty talented. All right. I'll do it. I will make this great sacrifice, and I will move across the country and experience really terrible winters. West Coast does have much better weather. I would say the West Coast is the best coast, but I will leave it, and I will go to the East Coast, and I will be the hero of my own story. And God, you will sit in the background, and you will applaud, and you will say, ah, well done, my good and faithful servant, because look at how much I have done. Lord, I have followed you and I have laid down my life. Now the issue is the same one that Peter has here with Jesus. He's getting it backwards. And I learned over my first year in seminary, I have gotten it backwards. See, I am not the hero of my own story. It's not the story of me laying my life down for Jesus. Jesus is the hero of my story. He is the one who has laid his life down for me, and so I respond. Same thing here with Peter. Peter is missing it. He says, Lord, Lord, I will lay down my life for you, and he makes good on that promise when he pulls out a sword when Jesus is arrested and starts a fight with overwhelming numbers, and Jesus says, Peter, you're, you're missing it. This is not at all the plan. You're, you're not understanding that I am the one who lays down my life for you. Now, I'd like to tell you that it only took me one year, and I learned that lesson perfectly. I'm still wrestling with it, and I fully suspect that I will wrestle with that for a lifetime, always wanting to butt God out of the way and take the spotlight 
and say, ah, yes, it's me. Jesus, thanks for putting me here. Thanks for sitting on the side and watching me. If I fail, you can come and rescue me and be the hero then, but otherwise, I want it. Unfortunately, that actually wasn't the only thing that I struggled with. Uh, second year of seminary rolled along, and uh, Jesus had more than just one disciple, and they struggled with numerous things as well. So we hear next from Thomas after Jesus again says, look, I am going where I'm going. You cannot follow, but I will bring you there. And this is picking up in John 14, 5, which is uh, what was read to us. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Seminary year two. All right, okay. God, I get it. I am not the hero of my own story. But here I am having things shifted on me. I thought I would race through seminary, come back home to Santa Rosa, and then serve here in a church here that I loved. And Dubai happened, among some other things, and I thought, well, my plans that I had laid have just gotten exploded but now these are the new plans that it looks like God's laying, and this is what I'm going to do. So God, just, just point me in the direction, and I'll do it. I get, I get it now that what I had planned wasn't that great, or it might be shifting, but now tell me where I ought to go, and then I will follow so obediently. But you think once again, ah, a good and faithful follower of Jesus. This is what we're all called to be and to do. Here's the problem. My heart really was saying, God, just tell me where to go and I'll do it on my own strength. I'm tired of having to wait for you. I laid plans, you changed them, so be it. Just tell me then what the new plans are and I will follow. I don't really want to wait on you. I don't really want to rely on you. I don't really want to trust you. I still trust in my own strength. In fact, I've just been through a year of seminary and I did really well. At first, I really struggled and I was desperate and thought, God, I need you. But now, year two, I'm thinking, ah, I'm actually a pretty good seminarian. <laughs> I, can, I, think I, I think I got this. Like, Jesus, I appreciate the fact that you were my training wheels, but I think I'm ready to ride the bike on my own. Now, again, if I fall, I'm going to yell, and I, you better be there to pick me up. But I, I really want to do this solo. Now, I think you're all laughing because you recognize it doesn't really work that way. But probably you recognize that is how it works for us. That is always the temptation for each and every one of us to think, I've got this on my own strength. And there was a time where I needed help. And in that moment, maybe I got the help. But now that I'm back on my own two feet, I can do it alone because I actually want not to rely on somebody else. I want to do it alone. It's hard to rely on somebody else. I have to say I'm weak. I really have to understand that I'm really not that superhero that's going to save everybody else, that I'm going to need to rely on someone else. And Jesus says, yes, that's exactly it. Because I am the way and the truth and the life. It makes no sense for you to try to forge your own path. It makes no sense if you are 
needing to forge a river, and you say, all right, Jesus, just tell me where I should cross, and he says, you can't swim. What are you, what are you talking about? Okay, there's no place that you can cross. No, 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 just trust me. Just, just, just tell me where, and I can do it. It's not going to work. My second year of seminary was seeing time and time again my strength failing. Either one, I fail from the get-go and I think, well, that didn't work, or I succeed. And then I succeed again. And then I succeed again and I think, yeah, I got this. And then I fail and I go, I'm a failure. Man, I wanted the glory when I did well, but the problem is that when you don't do well, and that happens for each and every one of us. We're always going to slip at some point. Then it all comes crashing down. And I think, ah, I am a failure. But that is not the God that calls us to follow him. That is not how he calls us to follow him. So then we move on to Philip and on to my third year. Now that I know, all right, I think I'm starting to understand that I'm not the hero of my own story. I'm learning time and again that my strength falls short, either from the get-go or eventually. So then what? What am I left with? This is reading in John 14, verse 8, when Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Lord, show us the Father. Show us God. That's all we need. Just give us a glimpse, and then... I will know. And it's easy to read this passage and to laugh a little bit and to say, ha, 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 foolish Philip. He doesn't understand. He doesn't get that Jesus is God. But I, I get that. I, I, I read. I understand that. Or it's also easy to have the right answers, which I've done plenty of times, especially working with Muslims or uh, Christians with a Muslim background and say, all right, the Trinity how do I explain this? Well, let's go to John 14. Does Jesus say he is God? Well, yes, he does. Let me, let me show you where and let me explain it to you. But Philip doesn't say, Jesus, explain to me the Trinity and that will be enough for us. This isn't a question about systematic theology. It's not a question about the being of God intellectually. The question comes from a place of uncertainty. The question comes from, all right, I understand I'm not the hero. I understand that my own strength won't get me there. But that means that I need to rely on you, Jesus. Prove to me that what you say is true. Prove to me that you have the power to do the things that you say you have done, are doing, and will do. Let me glimpse God let me see God, and then I will believe. Everyone wants to see God. Not just Moses who said, Lord, Lord, show me your glory. Not just the monastic monks who fled to the desert and said, I want a closer experience with God. You speak to an atheist and you say, what would it take to believe? And they will say, I, would, I need to see. This is the only thing I need to see because if I see and God is who he says he is, then I will say, okay, I trust you. Because a bit like the Wizard of Oz, 
If it's just a man behind the curtain and I see that, I'm going to know, ha, you don't have the power and the authority that you say you do. You can't do the things that you have said in your word, that you have done, that you say that you will do. I know that this is false. No one expects that if they see God, this is what they would see. You either think, well, God doesn't exist and that's why I can't see him. Or God is hiding from me. And if only I could get that glimpse, then I would be rejuvenated in my faith. Then, once more, I would have that strong faith to say, okay, I'm not, my, I'm not the hero. I don't have the strength, but God, you do, and I trust you, and I will follow you. Again, the problem, though, is that there's a key element that's been missed. And this is what Jesus responds to Philip's question or his request, show us the Father, Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak in my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Jesus, show me a glimpse. Give me a glimpse so that once more I can trust. Seems like a fair request or a simple request until Jesus responds and says, it's a request that doesn't actually make much sense. You're asking for a glimpse when you have gotten the real thing in front of you. You're saying that all you need is a glimpse, but clearly that can't possibly be true. When you have God in flesh amongst you and you still are struggling to believe. If you don't believe my words because I say them, and I do have friends who have, I think, a gift of faith. There are people who read the scriptures, hear Jesus speak, and they say, I believe. There are those people who have believed since they seemingly were born. They have always been faithful. I look at them and I say, wow, I'm amazed by that. I do not have that type of faith. There are times that I struggle and wrestle and I say, I just need a glimpse and the response is, believe in me, but if you don't believe in me, then at least believe in the works that you have witnessed. And then I can say, well, I haven't seen someone get raised from the dead. If I saw someone raised from the dead, then, God, I would have full faith. I would totally believe. But I don't actually think that is true. I'm sure that I would think of many scientific reasons for why that person really wasn't dead to begin with or was just in a coma and that's why he came back to life. Is this really a miracle? I don't know. See, God can be difficult to see, and especially if you believe that he is not there to begin with. So when Philip is with God incarnate, Jesus, and he says, uh, show me God, and Jesus says, uh, th there's not much more I can do for you, Philip. I have done everything, and I will continue to do more. How can you ask this of me? So I, was re I reflect back on my first and second and third, just the last three years of my life. I can look back farther than that. But what I am reminded to do 
is to think of all the times that Jesus has been there. Even sometimes, like a place in Athens, where I have that week where I think, I don't know how to explain what is going on except by the presence of God here with us, the power that he has. I don't know how else to explain it. This is what I can look to and say, okay, God, I trust that you have the power to do the things that you say you can do, even when right now I'm feeling weak. I'm feeling like I don't know exactly where you are, and I'm wanting to see that glimpse. But then Jesus continues, and he says in verse 12 and onwards, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Ask me. You want a glimpse, and you're asking for a glimpse. But what does that even mean? I'm here in the flesh. You want to see me. Well, you are seeing me. Clearly, you're asking for something else. But if so, what is it? As I reflect upon my last year in seminary, if I am honest with myself, I prayed a lot, but I prayed a lot for myself. Lord, help me to survive, help me to get through, help me to finish, help me to be done so that I can leave. I think, how often did I pray for my loved ones? How often did I pray for my neighbor? How often did I pray for my enemy? How can I glimpse the work of God when I am not asking him to do anything. And this is not asking, Lord, please give my best friend his legs back so that he can walk in a wheelchair. And I ask in Jesus' name. Well, God, he's not healed. Where are you? Why have you not healed him? Why is he not walking? I don't think that this is the faith that Jesus is asking for. There are, there are, I've heard plenty of stories where that has happened, so I don't want to discredit it. But nonetheless, Jesus is not saying, pray for things that you want. Lord, give my friend $5 million. I ask in Jesus' name, okay, well now I'm testing you, God. If you're real, you'll do it. And if my friend doesn't become a millionaire, clearly you don't have the power that you say you do. These are questions or these are things that we're asking out of the flesh. But am I asking, Lord, please reveal yourself to my loved ones. Reveal yourself to my neighbors. Reveal yourself to my enemies. I haven't been. So I've spent the last 10 days reflecting upon my time in seminary. I'm a bit undone. Thinking, ah, I've fallen into the trap. Wondering, God, I know you're there, but I'm also I'm questioning a bit, thinking, do you really have the power to do all the things that you say you do? I need proof. And then if I have the proof, then I'll pray. Then I'll ask. Then I'll understand I'm not my own hero. I don't have the strength. I'll trust you fully. And Jesus says, you're getting it backwards. It can't possibly work that way. You flip it around. Right? I'm waiting for proof, and then I will act Jesus says, act, and the proof will come. And so, yes, I will say that it can be difficult to see God, but it does not mean that he is not there. 
So although it can be hard to see God, He is still with us. And although we want that glimpse, we have been given many glimpses already and we will continue to be given them. That we may know that God does have the power to do the things that He has promised. And we can indeed trust Him. And so I pray for all of us today that indeed that trust would continue to grow, that our questions, our doubts, I pray, ask them, speak them out. God is not the man hiding behind the curtain, afraid that someone's going to tear it down. He does have the power. It is okay to ask the questions, but just be mindful that sometimes our questions can be quite foolish. So I pray that all of us have that great faith. In Jesus' name, amen.